Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you today and preaching. I'm just going to share my screen. Um, let me start. Okay, and before I get started, I just wanted to say that this sermon was really inspired by this little book that some of you have already read because it was on the church um, library. Uh, by Tim Chester called The Everyday Gospel, A Theology of Washing Dishes. So if you want to read more, I'm only just drawing on the, the first part of that book. Okay. Well, housework never ends, does it? And in lockdown, when we're home most of the time, there's even more, and it's right in our faces. I wonder which chore you um, dislike doing the most. In our house, it's washing dishes. There are six grown people at my place preparing and eating three meals a day and snacks in between, and we don't have a dishwasher machine. So we all agree that when it's our turn to do the dishes, it can feel like this. It's like it's never going to end and people don't appreciate what you've already done got a few memes here because I think we need to have a laugh about this. When you do the dishes, it's just kind of awkward and uncomfortable. It's annoying. Sometimes the temptation is just to put it off, to forget that it's your turn and hope that someone else will do the work for you. And when you get all positive and motivated, it can be ruined, right? Because you didn't get to be the hero who did the thing without having to be reminded. Stupid housework. Why are we talking about housework anyway in church? This series that we've been working through, Simple Spirituality for People in Lockdown, is all about taking the opportunity we have to be formed and transformed by God in the smallest details of our lives, which are actually quite time-consuming when you add them all up. And household chores, they are small and mundane, and they take a lot of time, and they're also annoying and frustrating. But I want to uh, persuade you, and myself, I need also persuading this morning, that we could see this all another way. We could actually see the kitchen sink as a place of joy and transformation for us all. Now, some of you hear that and you might think that I'm about to go all Marie Kondo on you. Now, I'm just, there she is. Um, unless you don't know who Marie Kondo is, um, in which case, let me tell you that she is the world's tidying guru. She has books, she has a Netflix series. She basically changes people's lives by helping them to clean and tidy up their stuff. Now, I'm not going to explain her philosophy to you here because it's not actually what I'm on about. I'm not going to encourage you to have a tidier and cleaner house or to simplify and declutter your life. But there are two things that, um, that Marie Kondo uh, says about uh, these small domestic tasks that I think are really helpful. First of all, she gives them value in the steam of things. And secondly, she uh, loves them because they can spark joy, she says. Now, I don't think we're really going to discover these two things by looking inward at ourselves or to our possessions, but by understanding what God has to say about who we are 
and about our work. And the two Bible readings that we've had today have showed us, firstly, that we're made in the image of God, the God who brings order to chaos and enjoys his work, and that we are in the that in the humble work we do, we are to serve um, others, but also to imitate Jesus and bring him honour. Let's look at this creation story in Genesis 1. On the one hand, this is a huge cosmic story, isn't it? Revealing who God is and who we are in relation to God. But I also think it sounds a little bit like keeping house. In the beginning... We're told uh, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. There's no form or function to speak of. A bit like our kitchen here at the end of the day, a wash with plates and cups on every surface. So what does God do? Little by little, he brings order to it. First of all, He says, let there be light. And then he looks at it and likes it. Then he separates. He orders day, uh, light from dark. And he calls the light day and the darkness he calls night. Now, I don't know if you're one of those people with the Dymo labeler or you like to put things in containers and label it. This is what this reminds me of. And when he looks at it all, he has pleasure in it. And then that's the end of the day. And the rest of the story is basically this pattern on repeat. Day after day, God works on creation, bringing more order, separating things according to their kind, giving them names, and stepping back and seeing what he's done and liking it. It sparks joy for him. Now, you might get this if, you're, um, if you do like ordering and labelling things. And that would be because God made human beings in his own likeness. Sorry, I've gone. Oops. Sorry. (laughs) He made human beings in his own likeness. See, we skipped that one. Sorry. And how is it that we're in God's likeness? Well, immediately in the story, you can see that people are given work like God's to do. Look after the earth, God says. Fill it, subdue it. And if you read into chapter 2, he says, here, now you start labelling things. You name these animals, he says. Now, often when we think about this idea of doing what God's work in the world, we translate it straight away to the big work of our lives, to our study or our career, which is true. But it's not the only thing. And I think also sometimes we feel anxious that we're not fulfilling this image-bearing role unless we're doing work that is obviously somehow helping to solve the big problems of the world and is visible to others. But let me say that every time you wash the dishes or fold the laundry or clean up after the dog, in whatever way, big or small, you bring order to chaos today, you are actively bearing the image of God. Even if you're grumpy about it, even if you're hardly thinking about it, the good news is you're already doing it. But where is the joy? At the end of each workday in Genesis 1, God looks at what's been made and he sees that it is good. 
And then with the creation of humans, he sees that it's very good. Let me point this out to you too. In the story, work is good. The man and the woman are made in the image of God and put to work before the fall. To work is part of God's plan for us. To be his co-workers in looking after the world and sustaining it is a privilege. So why do we struggle with joy sometimes? Well, I've got these verses up from Genesis 3 for you. The struggle first comes in Genesis 3 when one of the consequences of human rebellion against God is that our work becomes frustrated. Cursed is the ground, God says. Our work becomes toil. It becomes unfruitful sometimes. The result's less than perfect. But as well as this rebellion or sin making the actual work harder to do, these things also affect our hearts. It means that our hearts have mixed loves and values about work. If we love and praise the recognition of other people, then we'll value work that's public and visible, more than work that is done in private or is unseen. If we value money and treasures of the world highly, we'll especially value work that's highly paid. Sometimes money will be the first consideration, and we might esteem people more highly whose work attracts a big salary. If we like feeling good all the time, uh, then we'll want work that's fulfilling us and we won't want to be bored when we work. This is hopeless, isn't it, when we think about those tasks at home. If we want to feel that our lives are significant, we want our work to have a big impact, to, something, to point to something and say, here is my work. Well, then we're in trouble when it comes to housework. And I know that these problems affect my heart and need addressing. Praise and money and significance are all good gifts that God gives us, but when they become the goal of our work or the prize of our hearts, then we are in trouble and it becomes very hard to do humble things with joy. But when we know Jesus, we can. We can do humble things with joy. When our hearts are renewed by him, when we receive his work for us, that is what will turn us around. And we see this in Philippians that we read. Paul wants the Philippian church to be unified, to love and serve each other. And so he appeals to them with this. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Jesus, then do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, he says, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In other words, he goes on, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is a challenge to us, isn't it, when we think about what it looks like to serve at home. Paul goes on and he, that great passage, which is probably a song, he says, Jesus, who is in very nature God, that is Jesus, who was that same God that we saw in Genesis, who made the whole world, that God humbled himself to serve us. He did not exploit his power or demand that he be served. Instead, the gospel tells us that Jesus 
was the child of humble parents. And I guess, kids, that means he did all his chores. The Gospel tells us that Jesus was a man who broke bread and fed people even though he was tired at the end of a hard day's work. Jesus was a man who could heal people from a distance, but mostly he chose to do it by touching them, even if they had a contagious disease. Jesus was a teacher who washed his disciples' feet. Even though he was in very nature God, he came in our likeness and humbled himself even to death for our sakes. So this is what Paul reminds the Philippians and we're reminded of, that Jesus did this so that we could be united and love one another and worship him forever. And because this has happened, it means that everything in our life has been made holy and matters to him, even washing the dishes. So if we get this, Paul says, if you can receive this work of Jesus for you, if you can let it settle deep in your heart, then he will live through you. He will reorder your loves and help you to humbly serve others, even if your circumstances are poor, even if you're in lockdown, even if you are at home looking after children, even if you are ill and your capacity is lessened, even if you are looking for work and most of your work now is washing dishes and doing laundry. These things are not so bad when we look at them in light of what Jesus has done for us. So what I want to say to you is take to those annoying chores as a way of humbly serving your household in love. Whatever they are, whatever you dislike, do them with joy. And make sure that everyone in your household has the opportunity to do this. Make it clear and fair so that you can avoid resentment brewing. It's hard to be joyful if you feel resentful. Kids, teens, young adults, old adults, everyone can learn to love and serve somehow in our homes, humbly serving one another. Now, I know that some of you are living on your own right now, and I'm afraid that the bad news in all of this is that it's always your turn to do the washing up. But the good news is that when you do it, you are not just looking after yourself, you are serving the Lord Jesus. Paul writes to the Colossian church, and we see it in chapter three, he addresses the slaves in that community, and he said to them, whatever you do, Work at it with all of your heart, as if you're work, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And that is true for all of us, whatever our living circumstances are. Whatever we do, whatever task we do, we do it serving Jesus. So when we apply ourselves to humble tasks, we're not only reminded of the humble work of Jesus, we're serving him. We are seeking reward from his hand. Our work has a higher purpose, and in all of this we can find joy. Joy in remembering, joy in becoming more like him, joy in making other people's lives better. I've got a few tips for you on how to really get traction with this. Uh, let me just go through them. First one is make time for your domestic tasks. Okay, Marie Kondo would say this too, actually. 
if you don't make time in your schedule for them, then you'll do them in a rush. Uh, you'll, um, you'll resent them and the time they take. They're important, so make time for them in your schedule. And when you've done them, take the time, like God, to stand back and enjoy the results of your work. When you're doing household chores, it's good to remember that that kind of work is maintenance. It's not permanence. We need to let go of our perfectionism and just do what needs to be done day in, day out. I reckon it's good to be served without being reminded. And sometimes even in secret to do something kind for someone else and see the joy that it brings them. And that will um, enhance your joy as well. The other thing is you should do more than you strictly need to. That is, when you wash up, you should also wipe the bench and sweep the floor. That is, practice grace over legalism. Look around and see what it is that you can do to serve everyone and do the task well. I've already said this, but if you're in a shared household or a family, you need to be clear and fair about sharing tasks. Everyone should get the opportunity to serve Jesus and to be like him. So you need to revisit that regularly, especially as circumstances change for different people. This is really important. You should thank those who serve you. It goes two ways, and especially if um, someone is serving you, to thank them is to remind them that they have loved you, but it reminds you too of their love for you and what it is that they're doing. Now my final one, which is kind of my favourite and I need to explain, is this. When you're doing your household chores, why don't you practice prayer over podcasts? And what I mean by this is, why don't you take the time when you're working with your hands to pay attention to God? Because he's right there with you all the time. There are so many ways, Pete talked about this last week, so many ways that we can occupy our minds. And I admit that when I'm walking or working in the home, I love to listen to music or listen to podcasts. If I'm doing something on autopilot, I want something happening in my brain. But the best way to be spiritually formed by God in our domestic tasks is to pray, to talk to him, to be thankful for all that you have, for the people that you serve and for Jesus working in you. You might also need to ask him to help you to be humble or joyful or loving if you're struggling with that. And it's also good to just be quiet. Quiet in your mind, knowing that God is with you, to pay attention to his presence and to know that he loves you. Um, in the 17th century, there was a, a monk, a brother Lawrence, he was called, uh, in France. And when he joined his monastery... Uh, he was put permanently on kitchen duties and he didn't like it at all. And I love this picture. It's really like a meme, actually. There he is holding his um, dishwashing brush. And Brother Lawrence um, wrote many reflections on what he learned in his time serving in the kitchen. And there is a book you can read called Practicing His Presence or Practicing the Presence of God. By cooking and washing dishes day in and day out, Brother Lawrence was brought low, but he came to understand this, that all of life is spiritual. 
There were times of prayers and services that he had to attend in the monastery, but he ended up not even distinguishing between that and the ordinary work that he'd been set to do because he came to know that God was with him and gracious with him in all of his day because he prayed to him in all of his day. And I love this little quote. He says, And so it is the same in the kitchen, a place to which I have a great natural aversion. I have accustomed myself to doing everything there for the love of God. On all occasions with prayer, I have found my work easy during the 15 years in which I have been employed here. That really is a long time, isn't it? (laughs) In the kitchen, 15 years. As some of us have been doing the Liturgy of the Ordinary Course, what we've learned by doing that is to just apply things um, one at a time. Don't try and do this all at once. And so I want to encourage you this week to choose one task that you do regularly and as you do it, to remember these things and to pray to God. Ask God to transform you in that ordinary space to be like Jesus, to learn to serve him and others with great joy and love for his glory. Imagine if this were to happen to all of us in lockdown now, this kind of transformation. What would it look like when we come out to apply these things to the household of God, to our church, and as we reach out to our communities? I think it would be really exciting to see this and for people to see us humble in the service of one another and of God. Let me pray about this now. Will you join me? Loving God, in all we do, help us to pay attention to you, to know your love and grace, so we might humbly serve one another and glorify your name. Amen.